Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer, board, recorder of videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the DM Roundtable for June 2023. This is a chance for patrons and I to get together and discuss topics in tabletop RPGs. And by sharing our ideas, thoughts, and experiences, we can all become better DMs or GMs. The DM Roundtable discussions are open to all patrons at every level of patreon.com slash roguewatson. You don't even have to be an active participant. You can jump in here and lurk to your heart's content, and we'd be glad to have you. This month's topic, as determined by the Patreon poll, is Total Party Kill, more commonly referred to as the TPK. What happens when the party finds themselves in an unwinnable situation? And as Game Masters and Dungeon Masters, should we be avoiding this scenario at all costs, or let the dice fall where they may? Joining me for this month's DM Roundtable, we have Stan. Hello. Dory. Hello. And Lucas. Hello. So I obviously do not have much experience with the actual TPK. Uh, in fact, I don't have a lot of experience with player character death, and that's technically a separate topic, but obviously it overlaps uh, quite a bit with this one. So um, I'm going to first just go around and see if anybody does have experience this from either a uh, game master's uh, point of view or as a uh, player playing in a game, specifically the TPK or or just a near, maybe you had a near TPK experience. Dan, we'll start with you. Near, but not uh, not a total TPK. Okay. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> spoilers for Forge of Fury. Um, mm. um one of the uh, they did not go in the same entrance that you did in your game with Heather. They went they they successfully um, snuck in one of the other entrances for the dungeon, got up into the back end of where all the orcs were, and then I'm not sure what was going on outside of game, but I had three relatives playing at the table, and there there was a little bit. No, I'm gonna do it. No, what are you doing? And they decided that, you know, that whole stone down the well from Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. they ha instead of a stone down the well, there's a, there's a metal gate in there, and someone decided to kick it open instead of, so they're all quiet all the way up. Now they've just literally made nest. as much noise as possible in the middle of an orc stronghold. And it's one of those where, as the DM, you're going like, you do what? Are you sure? <laughs> Because you know what you have to do at this point. And it's literally, you're counting how many rounds, and you know, that map is huge. And it's like, and they can, they can communicate. So it's, I'm counting how many rounds it's going to take for every single orc to end up in this, and they're in a room with three entrances. The, now it becomes a chase sequence it sounds like <laughs> no they're stuck in this room because there's oh, guys surrounded. coming up from below guys <laughs> coming in through this way and guys coming in this way and so it's like every two rounds another group of orcs is coming in and it came down to someone got i think it was a nat 20 to finally kill like the orc the orc chieftain or something otherwise this guy hit like a truck and they're all down to like five, six hit points, and he's just going to clean them up. And someone critted on him and finished him off. What, but, le what, what level was this as a follow-up? Um, they were they were level four um, when they went into this. Um, they definitely earned level five by the time they got out. <laughs> but yeah, there was there, there was people on the ground. Like I said, you've got people that. I mean, it was a mess, and it was a five-person party, and. Oh. They got beat on really bad, and it's like, I don't want to do this, but there are consequences for actions, and that was dumb. <laughs> so, and there was table talk of, you know, someone, uh, one of the relatives to this guy was like, if we die, you die in real life. There's, <laughs> there is no negotiation. You're done. Because <laughs> this is all your fault. <laughs> uh, Dory, do you have any experience with the TPK? I mean, not in the true sense of the word, which I'm sure most of us would say we don't. But I will say that when my husband and I, when Corey and I were playing Rhyme at a different table, which we left, um, we had the... Oh, that sounds like a White Dragon. Well. <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, that's why I'm DMing Rhyme right now. Uh, actually, um, I'll do it myself. So we uh, we had the encounter with the um, ancient white dragon, hmm. and the other people at our table chose to handle it in a completely different way than what our side of the table was kind of hoping to do, <laughs> and it it did turn into a situation where our characters were kind of sitting there watching helpless. And we did have three people at the table go down. But as you know, in 5e, you go down and it's temporary, you know, so that's, that's pretty much where we were at. And I I personally felt helpless because I was a melee character who um, stated my opinion I acted on what I intended to do and no one else listened. So the big tank was not in the vicinity of where they needed me to be. Mm. And so that was a struggle. But um, when I have been DMing for my high school group, um, I actually did almost TPK them (laughs) on accident. Um, because I forgot they were a group of level ones who didn't really have experience running combat. And so when I built the scenario, I built it a little too tough. And so I had to do some adjusting on the fly for them. Which is a great segue. We're going to get into adjusting adjusting on the fly. Uh, Lucas, do you have any uh, anecdotes or tales of ZPK-dom? Um, No, uh, it's hard to... You try to avoid it, so fortunately, I think so. <laughs> generally, because it's oh, the closest would be a fun time when the wizard slid off from the party and he provoked two cyclopses, and he was doing pretty good until the cyclopses crit him and hit him, crushed him with one rock, and he died. Someone <laughs> he died. I think he. I'm not sure if he stabilized, but either way, someone came by and found him, a party member, and revived him, I think with Revivify or something. So, I guess when that happens when you split the party, that's the point. <laughs> but just, I try to avoid it. I mean, there's normally close calls, but it's just so hard to, you know, within 5e especially, it's just hard to have the real threat of death, yeah. you know? And, but... I wonder how you're supposed to handle it, because I mean, when I was like, when I, I mean, my characters died. I played in third third edition back with my friends in high school, but it's weird because I think the reason we don't have we play differently. We would all players would play more conservatively and carefully if they knew there was a real, more distinct threat of like, if I drop to zero, I'm dead, you know, mm-hmm. and not like if I drop to zero, I got three more strikes, and then you know. Yeah, so I, that might be part of the problem. Like a video game logic there, like roguelike games in between that and something like a, or like hardcore mode in Diablo, like or non-hardcore mode. Like, am I going to actually die or not? Well, I would going to the uh, avoid it. I'm perfectly comfortable throwing really hard scenarios at my players, and you know, knocking them down, having them look at me like, "Is this where we die?" You know, I've I've literally had players say that out loud. They look up and they they see what's on the board and they go, "Is is he really trying to kill us this time?" And it's you throw the challenge out in front of the players and let them struggle with the material. You know, it's like here you go. But I also will criticize some of the published modules because I like like you, I like to take a published module and customize it. You know, incorporate players' backstories, add some of my own content, etc. Spoiler for uh, Dragon Heist, the final battle um, is if you run that as written, and if you're playing, for in this case, Manchun, as smart as he is supposed to be, he is an 18th level wizard. They are level four (laughs) when this happens. If you run, if you bring him in solo, he can wipe the floor with them. As written, his simulacrum, which is more of like a, a challenge rating 8 wizard, is supposed to come in with a level 4 or 5 character and 4 thugs. Oh. So there's a wall. You can't get to him. He's got a backup. 
you know, a sergeant that's helping him out. And in his spell list is Wall of Fire and Wall of Force. I only need those two spells to TPK a fourth level party. <laughs> Wall of Force, you can't go anywhere. Wall yeah. of Fire behind it. I cooked you. Welcome to a microwave. And, and that's like, not particularly fun to be on the receiving end. Of I'm that looking either. at the spell list, and it's like if I play you as smart as you are, it's a TPK on on your own. I yeah. can't do this, so I have to play him very cocky and arrogant, hitting people with cantrips. Well, mm-hmm. he's a he's an 18th level wizard. A cantrip's going to hit like a truck, and people go like, "You just did 24 damage with a cantrip?" Yes, yes, I did. So I had to back off that hard. They still had a hard fight yeah. with him just using cantrips, but it was, they had fun with it. They thought it was a challenge, but there's no way I could play that optimally. The hard part I find for trying to introduce very difficult fights, and, and Dory mentioned the uh, Arbiatris fight in Rhyme, is, at least in my experience, players don't like to retreat from anything. <laughs> Every challenge is meant to be overcome right then and there. Uh, you know, unlike, say, certain open-world video games where where you would see enemies or you'd enter an area and these enemies would be so hard and you're like, oh, I don't need to be here right now. I'm going to come back later. Um, whereas, and maybe that's part of the covenant you make with D&D is like, oh, the DM's like, you know, crafting the world around us all the time. So there's a constant, like, you know, level scaling going on or something. And the DM's always going to be able to adjust things. Uh, but on the flip side, that makes it harder. The DM actually wants to create a really challenging situation. And you're like, okay, if you, if you, like, combat is technically always an option. Like, in that white, ancient white dragon fight, like, yeah, if you want to just fight this creature, you could. But you will not survive. And, and yet, do the players just be like, oh, well, clearly this is meant to be a social scene or something. Like, maybe we can just dick around with this creature and, and you want to be able to have the consequences there but not uh I, and i i agree that i don't think an actual tpk i mean obviously i read you know the D subreddit horror stories it just never seems like it feels like that's a failure on maybe multiple people in the game for things to end in that matter unless at the beginning of the campaign, this was very clearly laid out where, hey, we're playing on ultra hard difficulty uh, and player characters will die, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if you've established that as a thing, but I think for the typical average difficulty balance level and average weight of, you know, combat, role playing, exploration, all that, uh, I don't think anybody is wanting a TPK to happen and even if players make i don't know like not bad decisions but even when things go wrong i they should just open up different avenues of of branching paths i know i know one thing that has been suggested before is you know uh players uh characters could be captured you know knocked unconscious and dragged to a a cell or a den or something that can work sometimes unfortunately there's also enemies you know undead creatures or what you know that aren't gonna do that they're just gonna fucking kill you (laughs) so it gets a little tricky there but i i would think that it's always a good idea to avoid uh the tpk so i guess the next thing i would ask is what kind of um adjustments or modifications have people had to use or seen use like you see the writing on the wall right you're like either as a player or the dm you're like oh shit like this is going real bad maybe it's you know maybe you balanced everything as well as you could but just the dice have gone really well for the dm and really bad for the players or they made a a couple risky moves that ended up just failing completely and things are getting and you're looking at this going oh no I need to do something. So I'm very curious to see. I'm just going to open the floor up. Uh, I think, well, Dora, you, you mentioned first about making adjustments. Um, like what what kind of adjustments and how have we made those to try to avoid what we think is is going to be a TPK that's coming? Well, before that, you spurned something that I, I wanted to just, maybe we can follow up and, and talk sure. about this in the next round. 
But the idea of retreat, what happens as a player at a table? So like, let's say the four of us are players at a table and let's say, Eric, your player goes down. Yeah. Right. Now, do you have player guilt where no one can now retreat because you have one person down? Yeah, that's a so good point. So does, does that then lead to a TPK because no one wants to leave anyone behind? I would, I you would know, so. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I would hope that, and as a DM, I would definitely start laxing the rules on stuff like that in terms of like disengage and being, I would, you know, if somebody said, oh, I want to spend my action running over grabbing that person's body and running away then i would count that as like a disengage plus like you grab the body and do all these different like i would definitely especially if it was getting that dire and the player is doing something of that level of heroism then i'd be like yeah let's do that and then hopefully people follow suit but i have had situations you're right where like even i i can't remember off the top of my head where like some of the players started like retreating or pulling back and others or i guess you know what it was uh in the um in that Etherin, uh, so slight spoilers, spoilers for Rhyme of the Frostbane, uh, in one of the Towers of Magic where they were fighting all those waves, I think, of creatures and like some of the party was retreating up these stairs and others were staying and, and fighting and there was some weird miscommunication there, I guess, on whether or not the waves of creatures would ever stop coming. So they weren't even sure if like, oh, we're not, we don't know if the if the success state is us winning this battle or if it's just us getting away from this uh situation so but that is tricky when you have uh almost it's like a sunk cost fallacy in a, in a combat encounter like we can't get away from this but you know in terms of of as a dm like how to adjust things i think there's a lot of things that we can do like we could work magic behind the screen so for example you know let's take the the white dragon you know dragons always have a lot of a lot of motives behind well, why they attack and and what they're protecting. So if you take that scenario, you know, you smell blood in the water, you can use your use your prowess to demand that they put down their weapons and pay tribute to you in exchange for their lives. You know, you can, you yeah. can do things socially and story-wise mm -hmm. that would eliminate that TPK. But then you don't you never know what your players are going to do in response to that and that's always the big that's always the big question mark you know so you can put things out there as a dm so they can save their own hide but if if you've got players who you know you've got a paladin in the party who there's no way they're ever going to stand down yeah or just a murderous you know, yeah <laughs> there's always one of those in every party too it's like never going to stop yeah i'm thinking of this a little wrong in a way like, um, I, 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 I'm a teacher and like, I don't like failing students. I don't think I need to fail them to make an example out of them, or I should fail this many students, or I want to fail some, but there has to be that threat of consequence. You know, they need to know that's a possibility. So I'm not saying like TPK your players once in a while. No, but like, <laughs> I'm saying maybe it's like. Because after all, there has to be the threat of death. Even if yeah. death is so hard to achieve with the death saves and stuff, there has to be a real... Because they don't want to die. They don't want to lose their characters. They don't want to fail the mission or whatever. I think the goal is is to hit that, that razor's edge. Not in every fight, but in the big epic fights that you as a DM are like, alright, this is a marquee, like, major... Uh, you know, bottleneck moment of uh, a big bad or, or something that's happened. And I I want the players to, str I don't know, struggle is the right word, but... Um, I, I say the sweat. You the know? sweat, yeah. And you yeah. don't, and maybe sometimes, you know, you can feel the ebb and flow. We're like, oh shit, I got off a big spell and these players are, are hurting real bad. Or, oh man, the player did this big thing and now the, the, the momentum is starting to shift. So, yeah, there's a difference between obviously you want to avoid a TPK, but also that doesn't mean you want to just have, uh, you know, kid gloves on it and mittens the whole time. Like, you definitely, uh, and, and especially in those big battles, go ahead. You mean you don't want them to feel like, oh, even if they don't, even if they don't really think it, in the back of their heads, you don't want them to think, well, nothing's going to really happen. Yeah. Well, we're never going to die, or, oh, well, I, oh, we took too much damage. Well, I'm sure something will figure it out. No, they, they need to worry. 
Yeah. They need to be scared. Not like you know what I mean. Not like terrified, but right. just unless said, unless you're playing a, a horror you know level game that that has the up the ratchet difficulty. I think we're talking about like the average kind of level of high fantasy play. Like, I always I always feel funny because like I know you're not supposed to think of this, but like when I when I'm playing an NPC or they st- they get some hits and they're like, yeah, I hit my players like. <laughs> Like, no, yeah, I definitely I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like that because well, combat takes a while, and, and you want it to mean something at the end of the day too. Well, it's not just like I want to win, but like the more I hurt them, the more I, the more they like appreciate it because like okay, that sounds. But you know, the more they feel like oh no, I took a lot of damage yeah. instead of oh we t- we got it out that easy again, or oh what's the point of having so many hit points if I don't use them, or oh you know. They feel. Yeah. I think it's more enriching to have yeah. that up and down threat level. The yo-yo. You, you, you value an accomplishment more if you struggled for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah of course. Because you I, don't appreciate the highs unless you go through the lows, <laughs> and so yes. you have to do that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And you were asking, how do you um, notify players that? This probably should be a social encounter. You probably don't want to mess with this person. Um, sometimes you can introduce that instead of having them roll. Uh, you can say, you know, just from their character's background or their training, like, oh, they're a cleric or a paladin or someone who's trained in, you know, just certain, you know, certain background training. Yeah. Um, there's some supplemental materials that you can get to add to Dragon Heist that uh, I ran a lot of that to uh, beef up the, uh, the the module. And in one, you can encounter the door guards are two adult werewolves. Remember, wow. you're only level four when you go into the final battle. You're, like you're level five when you finish it. Those are the door guards. <laughs> what they're guarding is a true vampire lord. Like, literally... 250 year old vampire lord that lives in the city in the dead it's meant obviously to be a social encounter and you know i had two rookie players and i had a a a fellow dm that uh, sat through that campaign with me and i start describing you know the, the werewolves are presenting in their hybrid form they're obviously werewolves and he's looking at me like what the hell are you putting what like he's like his eyes are bugging out of his head but he's trying to keep cool for the rookies and they go so are we supposed to fight these guys and he's going no (laughs) no no and i go um i called his character by name and i go you you realize that these are werewolves and and that gave him the cue of no we're talking we are definitely talking here (laughs) they open the door and then they figure out that this guy's a vampire lord and the whole time he's on eggshells and they're picking up what he's laying down of like, yeah, we're going to be good. We're going to be quiet. We're going to be respectful. Mm -hmm. They get, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm tired of having my lair being interrupted. Um, Make sure that no one else comes down here and you never saw me because if I, I hear, and I will know if you mention that I'm alive down here and I will take care of you personally. <laughs> so for the rest of the game, the rest of the campaign, if they see a bat, a wolf, a dog in an alley, a rat, anything that seems to be following them, they shut up. Like they're terrified. They didn't even tell that there was three of them that did it instead of the full five. And they go, yeah, he, it was like Voldemort. He who shall not be named um, told us to never go back into this one mausoleum again. And so they played for the rest of the campaign that they are absolutely terrified of this guy. So if you if you can present that well to where it's now like a running joke of anytime they're down an alley and they see a rat, yeah, I think we need to leave. You <laughs> <laughs> love enemies that um, automatically usually enter into some kind of social scene like hags or dragons <laughs> or vampires. Those are always fun to run. Or goats. if you take with speak with animals everything's a social encounter (laughs) Uh, i I think my best example of adjusting um when i was worried about a possible tpk situation was uh also in rhyme of the frost maiden in the uh, lost spire of netheril which i had uh changed 
from what was written into a kind of clone factory gone horribly wrong and very Cronenbergian. Uh, and the players ended up basically aggroing kind of the entire dungeon, um, which, you know, chalked it up to they did that. That was a consequence. They they were in the middle of a fight, and then one player character grabbed another because uh, she was angry at him, which was very in character, and uh, jumped down and then aggroed a whole other room of bad guys. And then ended up going, and then I think one of them ended up retreating further into the dungeon, which, gosh, if there was one piece of advice, uh, don't retreat further into the dungeon. (laughs) You'll aggro more things. Uh, Ended up aggroing the boss of the dungeon, which was a custom creature I had, uh, you know, modified from a different creature. And I quickly learned that ongoing, um, automatically forcing the players to make saves against being, like, effectively stunned every round isn't a good uh, design choice uh, on my end. And sure enough, ended up being um, extremely debilitating and challenging for the players because very quickly they ended up getting like stun locked. And I was like, oh no. And like people would try to go rescue them and then get stun locked. And I'm like, oh shit, this is going to be very, very bad. And I saw the writing on the wall pretty quickly that people, and it wasn't only like things are going badly. It was, I could tell my players were being frustrated by it. I think that's probably the bigger cue to pick up is not necessarily like oh man things are going really bad for us but we're still having a good time we're struggling versus like you can just see deflation going like oh well we're fucking dead now because this thing is just you know gonna destroy us with these stupid abilities so that's when i bring in an npc that thankfully it wasn't a complete deus ex machina uh this was an established npc that had just recently been freed uh but it was still hilarious that it came literally tromping down in the course of you know literally a magic round strapped to a summoned polar bear who could then cast you know a special spell that kind of dazed the or distracted the big boss for a second to get everybody uh out of that situation so basically i literally just pulled a a a npc out and said you need to fucking fix this right now and uh at least do enough to where the players can to survive this situation so you know partially that was the players had made some bad choices which was they kept aggroing multiple parts of the dungeon, making that harder. But then pa- partially that was on me for, I think, designing a boss with abilities that were just not fun to encounter and uh, to deal with. So that's an adjustment that I had to make to fix that. <laughs> so, Eric, I have a question for you. Huh? Did you do all of that on the fly or do you plan out like, OK, if things go sideways this is an out do you plan an out or was that something that you had to come up with like right then and there no i didn't plan for that at all (laughs) i didn't even know they'd have that character alive like you know or freedom from the cage or anything that was those were all uh variables that i didn't plan for um i I do have a question too for everyone here i guess what do we do what are your plans if there is a tpk so my plan really is if there is a TPK, because again, as I said, I have a picture you have like an emergency, like break glass if TPK. <laughs> no, not. What's, what's behind that glass? <laughs> again, I have to be. I try to. I try to. We, we all. We all have these tricks with NPCs or have them be prisoner or, and we don't want to have it. But when the push comes to shove, we have to be able to follow through on our promise, essentially. Yeah. So in that case, and I've had characters die individually, not the whole party, but my policy is. Make a new character at the same level or right when we'll write you in. Because I don't want to say, well, too bad. <laughs> how does it end? Who knows? You don't, you died. Right. So you yeah. don't want to end the, you know, in other words, you don't have a game That's over right. screen literally up here. Yeah. I'd hate that. Yeah. But like, I want the consequence is you lost your character. They're dead. But I mean, like, I want to continue the campaign, the story, the adventure. So, and also, you're not going to start at level one. Right. That'd be, that'd be ridiculous. I'm not, I don't want to do that, frankly speaking. So, like, roll a new character, and I'll write you in, you know? So I assume that's what we do for a TPK, like, deal with it. The, 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 the world still needs saving or whatever, you know? My backup plan, because we've just finished Dragon Heist, is the party's name, I, I, they haven't voted on it, but it, the, the unofficial name is the Blackstaff Irregulars, uh, because they are working for Vajra. 
uh, is kind of like a force gray, uh, gray hands kind of a thing. And my break glass on that would be is if they got whacked on a mission, the next party that they roll up is going to be assigned to go and find out what happened to that party. And so it's going to be almost like you would do in Call of Cthulhu, where you're playing a character, your character, you lose your character, and then you pick up someone like, you know, if you're playing a, a, a maid in a hotel and you, you lose it when you see something in one of the rooms. Well, your next character might be the detective coming to find out what happened to that maid in that hotel room. And then you pick up the story from that spot. So it's kind of the same thing as, hey, these guys all went into the the Forge of Fury and they all got, they never came out again. We lost contact with them. We're going to send in another team <laughs> to see if we can figure out what happened. I was I was thinking some way to link it narratively at least, and you and you I think you explained it really well, Stan. Uh, would probably be the ideal situation, uh, and and I agree with Lucas that, uh, yeah, we're definitely again unless you specifically started like a tiny you know little campaign and be like, hey, this is a roguelike, you're just gonna play it till you go and whatever, which I don't think D and D is even necessarily built for that anymore at fifth edition. But um, for the average game, yeah, obviously we don't want to really game over the campaign and also i'm not going to start over at level one um it, it, do, it does feel weird if you all die like uh right before the finish line kind of a thing <laughs> where it's like oh now y'all gotta roll up like level nine people and i'm gonna start you at the entrance to the big bad guy's dungeon you made it this far yeah it does get really really tricky i think you know maybe early on it's easier to replace it but late game gosh it, it feels like you really have to twist yourself in knots to have it make sense where you've got this whole other party starting up that's like yeah we were in the next county over <laughs> dealing with some other big threat and we decided to come in and, and help out with this one we heard you lost your local heroes which is partially why i don't you know the tpk is just it's not a great thing to have happen and i think we try to uh avoid it as much as we can but still and that's the extreme right because you don't want to have things go so horribly that it's a TPK. And also, I think the flip side is not fun too, which is, well, I guess I say that. Sometimes the players do have fun with that, where the players just absolutely wipe the floor with the enemies. Um, even though you, the DM, maybe thought, oh, this, this could be kind of a challenging thing. There's some things here and things there. And all of a sudden, the players do something, and the DM's just like, or, or just the dice. You know, it's just all, it's all dice, so they could just be kicking ass. And suddenly, that might not be as fun just because you're like, oh, well, we took care of that really easy and it was no consequence, even though combat still took a long time because maybe they just had a lot of you know hit points or armor class and it just took a long time to go through. So I don't like either extreme of uh, the balance too much. I, I think it should be try to be you know right in the middle of that balance. And then for big, you know, again, these big climactic epic boss encounters, ideal or mini boss, whatever, we skew more towards the TPK. We don't really... Maybe you flirt with it sometimes, but... At that point, maybe you've got some kind of backup. So at the end of Tomb, there's, there is one built in mechanically uh, where the players can be, uh, I guess spoilers for Tomb Annihilation, the players can be inhabited by the trickster gods and they gain all these supernatural powers. Then literally during the final battle, they, they get like super hit points and all these super abilities and things to allow them to fucking fight Serac, which is stupid. So that's a way you can actually do it mechanically. So maybe there are you know, other things you could introduce, uh, especially during these moments, you know, narratively, where you're kind of futzing with the rules a bit, like, oh, well, because you're so locked into your rival, um, you know, you don't go down, or you get a final, like, hit or something. So you could even change, you know, adjust some of the rules on the fly uh, to make... The, I had, in the Patreon D&D game, I had the Barbarian was out of rages when, when he saw his um, big villain from his backstory and i was like well you're entering into a rage because it's just that's just going to happen because you're, you're you're literally filled with rage upon seeing this character so I, I do like kind of bending and twisting some of the rules around if it serves the uh narrative and 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 fits it thematically and then maybe that can also swing things around uh to the player's favor or to the dm's favor although i will say it gets very tricky to bend the rules against the players 
you have to be very careful about that because they will cry foul pretty quickly. Um, I do get away with it though. A lot of times I will have you know cutscenes or you know some means of letting the enemies do things a little bit, but I'm very careful not to go too crazy uh, because I do think players will will cry foul uh, justifiably if we adjust a little bit too much against them. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of a bit what I did with Manchun and Dragon Heist was I would rather play him soft than have that Deus Ex Machina come in of Vajra was in the basement. She's 360 feet away. There's a <clears throat> there's a gold dragon in the basement. Mm-hmm. And their friend, or the guy that they just met was, there was a unicorn that has the ability to teleport in. So there's three NPCs that I could have called in that would have been, would have been a good one-on-one fight against Manchun. I would rather play him soft and let them win and feel like they accomplished something. Now, make him a simulacrum so he turns into a snow cone when they're done. Right. But instead of, I keep looking, it's like Vajra can come up and just wipe the floor with this guy. Now, those, those would, could be I, adjustments we could use, but I would only feel comfortably, comfortable doing that if the players had, like, earned it. Like, mm-hmm. in the case of having my Zahn run in with a polar bear, like, one of the player characters had previously freed this caged, half-insane NPC, essentially rescued him and strapped him to his summoned polar bear and left him up there. So, literally, that was a gift to me, the DM. And I, I'm never going to I was going to leave him up there. But now that they created this situation, I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to bring this in. Whereas, had they just left that guy in the cage... That would have been, and, and like not speaking of, that would have been a lot harder for me to, to justify like pulling that NPC, that NPC out. So I, you know, I, I think having those backups uh, is, and maybe that's a reason why it can be nice to have NPCs with the party that they've already befriended. I'm somebody who generally doesn't like to have um, NPCs necessarily join in, in combat too much. Unless it's like their specific like quest dungeon or something, but maybe they'll still be with the party. Uh, but but that is a way you can adjust for the players that maybe makes sense in the game. Is like oh all of a sudden this NPC is like all right I got to unleash my like ability or I got to really start fighting and all of a sudden they're going to get multi attack or whatever else. I'll also say is another one I just thought of something I use to adjust boss battles a lot are the legendary actions all the extra shit the boss can do. Uh, I will start winding that stuff down <laughs> if things are getting a little too hairy for the players. I'll start forgetting some legendary act, and sometimes I do legit forget. But I will do less of them, and uh, you know, hopefully things adjust on the fly, and nobody really says or mentions anything in the battle because I think the players are kind of noticing that, like, oh, the boss isn't doing things as often. Although well, we- like Lucas said, he said, you know, actions have consequences, mm-hmm. so you. You want to make sure that your players don't think that everything is a cakewalk right. and that regardless of what they do or what they don't do, they're going to be totally fine. But, you know, you make a point, too, where actions not only have consequences, but have they should also have and... rewards. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah so if you if befriend they're... NPC, yeah, they can come aid you. Yep. And, and, and that's especially helpful in those situations specifically, for sure. I haven't done something. I can't remember. Did you run? Did you run Black Cabin? I did not. Okay. I did not at all. So we <laughs> we actually ran Black Cabin in the one that I was a player in. So this is for this is a rhyme of the Frost Maiden quest. This is rhyme. Spoiler alert, yeah. everyone. Um. So I actually totally forgot about this because there's parts of that campaign I black out from my brain, but. My character actually did not go into the cabin. I was the only one because they heard the creaking floor and I was a giant um, barbarian who was worried that my weight would cause the party to fall through the floor. So I stayed outside the window (laughs) and that whole scene unfurled where I lost my entire party. And then they pulled me into a secret chat and I had to 
like do a whole bunch of shit on my own. Okay. Thinking that I was the only person legitimately who survived and was frantically trying to solve this like mini quest on my own. That that's actually Which, pretty cool. That that'd be kind of a gift for the DM because I that one is so weird where it's almost like a design TPK, but it's kind of a twist. So it's like, oh, but then you enter kind of a ghost realm and now you can talk to the, I guess, the wizard inventor or whatever. But it, it's fun that it ended up where you got to do the thing because every, you know, it's a split party situation almost at that point. Yeah. So it was interesting because, you know, Corey, when he plays, is across the hall in his room and I'm over here. And I could hear him talking on another channel. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I could hear him talking on another channel. And then I was in here. And the best part about it was the way my player's backstory was written. Like I was in full on PTSD mode. And um, just the fact that there were very specific events that kept happening to my character, which obviously the dice wanted that part of my story to play out. and I, I was tr- staying true to character and playing it that way, but I could hear him talking to the DM and the other channel. And I was like, now I'm confused. Are they just waiting for me to like do something over here and just fully announce that the, the table is gone or so that, so what's the, happening? The DM actually kept you in the dark about everything that had happened. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's yes. hard to pull off. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I was crying. It was really bad. I was almost out of character at that point, just crying, thinking that I was the reason the whole party died. Um, and so, you know, there you have a situation where, you know, you just asked a, a key question. Could the DM have clued me in a little bit? Yeah. So that I could then finish out that quest in character properly you know whereas i i literally was sitting over here in my room alone thinking that i was the only surviving (laughs) character at the table Jeez. um you know but it i mean it obviously it worked out in the end and and yeah i was able to kind of put the pieces together and and it was actually cool they they were talking to me from the other side and like doing roles to try to see if they could communicate with me in, in the cabin to point me to certain uh, key things. But, um, you know, there, there's a situation where how do you handle it when the dice don't go the right way? Yeah. So, you know, my character was a rune knight, um, fighter, very much like barbarian style. I had no training in Arcana. I had no training in the things that I needed for that particular quest to go my way. How do you handle that? Because all of my roles were really shitty, super <laughs> shitty. And like my my modifiers were like either zero or negative one. Yeah. So how do you handle that as a DM? Lower the DC. Well, I think I think just handling it like socially or maybe the other players are having to make the checks or something. I, I don't. I think that creates just a, a, a puzzle situation more than a skill check situation, I think. Uh, so probably more narrative and, and puzzly with like a, yeah, just trying to figure out what's going on versus, and the problem is the skill check is usually what, what solves if if you uh, don't know what to do, you can fall back on the skill check. And that does get tricky if like the player's like, all right, well, I don't know. I just want to roll a skill. And then they roll a failure. And the DM's like, well, shit. Yeah. No, I mean, they were making me roll a lot uh, more i mean to be honest more so than i honestly felt that i needed to be at that yeah. point um and it it was looking really bad because the roles were not going in my favor that that's an i mean that's almost a whole other topic we could talk about but i think general advice something i've learned after years of dming is less is more <laughs> when it comes to uh rolling dice and i like rolling dice i think it's fun but yeah i I think in the early days if you go back and watch our early games and it's all on record uh i I probably called for too many rolls like every you know every little thing probably needed a a roll 
And I think you really might have to ask yourself, like, well, does this really need to have a role involved, or can we, or do I actually want to see what happens? I mean, obviously, if it's a, if it's a challenging thing that has a degree of success or failure, then yeah, it should probably be a role. But a lot of times, I won't. And now it's probably gone too far in the other direction, where if players uh, are are socializing in a scene very well, I won't even have them roll any um, charisma checks. I'll just we'll just keep doing the scene from an RP point of view versus having... So I, I think a lot of times the skill checks are there to fall back on. But um, yeah, I don't... I, I try not to do too many roles in general, I think. But And there may be some situations where I call for a lot. I don't know. Stealth is still one where I think a lot of times needs a good role because I think that's always a fun... Mm-hmm. Uh, it should always have a degree of failure. You know, even if you're like amazing at stealth, there's always some, you know, stick to step on or something that can happen and that can always lead to some shenanigans so i think the poor rogue always has to roll stealth forever (laughs) but yeah i think that's almost a whole topic of itself um i think it's time to do our final thoughts on the uh tpk um including either ways of avoiding it or uh ways of you know adjusting on the fly or getting close to the tpk or just warning signs or just embracing it. Uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. Lucas, give me your closing th- thoughts on the TPK. I think essentially we don't want it. The players don't want it, but we're still, we don't want it. We're invested in seeing them not trying to, we're not trying to kill them, believe it or not. But we need to be, we need to have, a, 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 we can't have an empty threat and we need to learn how to accommodate it when it does naturally when despite all our efforts happen and if it does happen don't make them start from level one that's stupid you know that's I, my short version yeah i i agree with all of that i think uh dory final thoughts on the total party kill i 100 percent agree with lucas i think that one of the downfalls of 5e is that players don't necessarily feel the threat of the whole actions have consequences because there's no real threat of death. But again, I don't think you need to be the type of DM that tries to kill your players. I think there's a a middle ground where you can challenge them and remind them that their actions have consequences. But uh, I definitely don't agree that a, a DM should ever try to TPK their party even if they're asking for it, I just think that there's too much time and too much emotion invested in building these characters to ever do that. Especially in these days of 5e where, where we're, we're playing characters for years. Um, I mean, and we just talked about like the, you know, death penalty lasts a uh, month and yeah, I, I do think there's a lot more investment now that there should always, that should still be on the table. But I think if you're, if you have a TPK, then Something has gone wrong. <laughs> there is, you have reached a fail state somewhere. Uh, Stan, final thoughts on the TPK? It's it's not something I'm going out and I'm going to seek, but you know, like my Forge of Fury example, or there was one case in Dragon Heist. Someone mouthed off to the wrong NPC, and not realizing what he was, the guy's a cold-blooded murderer, and they mouthed off and they point blank accused him, and. Round one, he took out two of the players, dropped them to zero, and their death saves. Round one, and they looked like, oh, that character had guilt issues for the next couple sessions of like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be the one to enforce consequences. And I tell my players every single game we sit down, remember, actions have consequences. If you do something, and especially if I ask you, are you sure, or do you do what? You may want to think those things through because I will enforce those consequences. And if it was Forge of Fury, if they wouldn't have rolled well, I would have TPK'd them. So it's it's not something I'm seeking out. I will I will tweak and I will hone, you know, the big boss encounters and stuff. Like you said, forgetting legendary actions, um, you know, lair actions, those kind of things. Totally understand because that's not their fault. Yeah. But you kick an iron gate in the middle of an orc stronghold and bring <laughs> the mountain down on you. I'm sorry, it's on the table. What's the 
the fuck around and find out is what the, is what the kids say these days. Mm-hmm. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Yes. I mean, the most memorable sessions or scenarios oftentimes are the ones where the players get by with a skin of their teeth. It, it's that razor's edge of balance, which I think... I think is where most DMs would love to be. Again, not for every battle, because that would be killing overdoing it, but for those big awesome moments, you want to get like, oh man, we remember that time that you know so and so went down and this person went unconscious and I got stunned for this, and then but we pulled through and you did this and that, like that that creates that awesome, memorable situation. So we don't want to necessarily be afraid of you know, having those difficult challenges, and I speak mainly of combat, but of course a TPK could happen with everybody crossing a bridge or something as well, that could happen. Um, I think as long as you give your players, you know, new avenues, you're able to kind of adjust things, and that's the big advantage we have as, you know, running a, a game as a live person, is you can make those adjustments. On the flip side, you don't want the players to feel like you're always going to throw a mattress under them when they fall. So, and, and I realize that's a really tricky thing. It's a, it's a tricky balance to strike that a lot of us are, are still trying to figure out years and years of doing this is how to hit that perfect level of, you know, you, you fuck around and find out with your consequences. You know, you, you roll, sometimes you do everything right and you just roll bad and bad things are going to happen as well. But hopefully with enough of the variables in play, um, you're not going to end up with a TPK uh, because there should probably always be something that can happen, some adjustment that can happen. Maybe the DM needs to be very you know, forceful on like, look, you need to be doing this. And I've, you've probably watched me even do this during some situation. Where I, well, I'll, I'll call out and be like, hey, you know, so-and-so's over there bleeding out. Maybe you should deal with that. Uh, so I've even been pretty much like, you know, I, I, I want you players to make the adjustments as well and not just me, you know, the DM or GM. So that's, we always strive to make challenging, memorable moments uh, without obviously tipping over and going overboard because uh, between all of you, I don't have an emergency break glass if that happens. I think I just got to keep coming up with other uh, plans to, to keep the story going. All right, thank you. Uh, that is all we have for this month's uh, DM Roundtable. Thank you to Stan, Dory, and Lucas for joining me, and to all of the amazing patrons. Shout out to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Roll, Christopher, Brian, William, Cora, Coet, 1337, Big Nut, John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, Eric, Dan, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Big Shep, Andrew, Daryl, The Reldren, and Matt. And gold patrons, RPG Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Deathless, and Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. See you all next uh, for next month's DM Roundtable discussion.